The following Dharma talk was given by Shimyo Simon Atkinson. Reverend Atkinson is an ordained priest in the Soto Zen Buddhist tradition. She received Dharma transmission in 2015 from Reverend Tejip Munich at the Great Tree Zen Women's Temple in North Carolina. Shimyo Sensei spent the month of June practicing with the Sangha at ZMM. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, many thanks to Shigen Roshi, to Ojin Sensei, and also to my teacher, Reverend Tejo Munich, who is far away but near. <sighs> oh, that was loud. <laughs> I'm going to start by reading my favorite part of the Book of Serenity. Emperor Wu of Liang asked great teacher Bodhidharma, what is the highest meaning of the holy truths? Bodhidharma said, empty, nothing holy. The emperor said, who are you facing me? Bodhidharma said, don't know. The emperor didn't understand. Bodhidharma subsequently crossed the Yangtze River, came to Shaolin, and faced the wall for nine years. This was my Shuso case, and it has been haunting me for the last 10 years. Um, I associate it with a lot of physical effort, sweat, and discomfort that I experienced during my ceremony, which was held in a temple in Ehime, really tiny temple. It's crowded with people. Uh, no air conditioner, and there were these plastic fans in just about every corner, and sometimes just in the middle of the floor, and just worrying all around. So, and I kind of remember, and this is in hindsight, mind you, I know that, coming up, from the umpteenth bow that I had to do during the ceremony um, in front of this stranger, you know, my Hoshin Siki teacher. I had just met him maybe a couple of days ago before. Um, so he was, a, he was a very kind man, um, um, but a stranger to me. And behind him, because the doors were open, they actually took the walls the temple was so small, they took the walls off so that people could get in. Um, there was this alien landscape behind him. And I felt, or have felt, you know, with that picture in mind, you know, I don't know where I am. I don't know who that person is in front of me. I don't really know him. Uh, this strange place, strange smells, palm trees. They don't have palm trees in North Carolina. Um, where is this? And who the hell am I to be standing here? Unlike Bodhidharma, you know, I have all kinds of silly, ridiculous, you know, answers to that ridiculous question. When Bodhidharma 
answers Emperor Wu, you know, there's a couple of translations, a few translations, and some of them says, when Emperor Wu asked, who's this standing in front of me? It says, I don't know. And some of them say, don't know. In my mind, and mind you, I'm not a scholar, I'm not a translator, the second version, don't know. It's maybe a little subtle, but <laughs> even so, it's different. When he says don't know, he means truly don't know. Not I don't know, don't know. And I also kind of interpret it um, for myself and for Emperor Wu, whoever he was, um, as an instruction, don't know. Why are you asking that question? Don't know. And poor Bodhidharma, having, you know, depending on what translation or what history you have, having sailed, you know, dangerous seas and or crossed and or crossed dangerous lands to get to Liang and find this disappointing reception. Not ripe yet, not ready yet for that answer. And myself, I can sympathize with silly Wu, me and Wu, you know, to see without seeing, to meet without meeting, that opportunity gone. After my Shuso ceremony, I had spent five months in a convent Mostly whining, but also <laughs> um, tied up in this question, tied up in this answer, don't know. And still tied up in that don't know, emptiness, nothing. So I'm still chewing on this, as you can see. I think some, in some way that it is fundamental to my practice, but I also think in some way I'm just hanging on to it and need to let go and don't know. And the how and when is that going to happen after all these years of practice? Um, this last two years has brought to all of us momentous changes, you know, in our lives um, because of the pandemic and many other things that are always happening and have always been happening, um, but somehow um, a new light, a new twist has happened. And so things that we always probably knew down deep inside were not what they seemed and not, you know, 
Not that that's going to happen. You know, paradigms have changed, as I said. The new ways of working, new ways of of being with your family, you know, new ways of looking at death, new ways of looking at life. And these changes have affected me too. There have been some very drastic changes that have happened in my life in the last couple of years. Um, I spent 10 years in temple um, following a schedule, um, doing sashim, all of these things for 10 years. Um, and 10 years is a long time. It wipes the memory of what was before. <laughs> um, it wipes um, as it should, because that is, you know, past is past. And now that is past. So all of the construct that was this chimyo identity that I had living in temple, practicing every day with a teacher, um, three, cooking three meals, three tens of meals a day. Um, all of that is not here. So what is here? The landscape has, might as well be the moon for me at times. So, I came here to Zen Mountain Monastery, um, and seeking um, a way of not knowing by immersing myself in a new, um, a new kind of schedule, a new way of doing um, practice. Um, new people that I'd not met before, most of whom I hadn't met before. Um, when I talk about looking up and seeing that alien landscape and that alien face in, in, in Ahimi that year, um, it's with an understanding that a challenge is there, a way of making me not so comfortable in being this particular thing that I created. Um, and for me, that is, in a way, a good thing, um, because It moves, it takes away that um, self, that takes away that idea of something permanent and real um, that I made up. And so I come to Zen Mountain Monastery kind of seeking the same thing. As you can see, I'm still kind of holding on to that idea you know, um, and need to let it go. So I came here 
seeking don't know. And lo and behold, you all are talking about the Yogacara of all things. Um, right on the nose. When, when I think about don't know, I think about that there's a video, um, I don't know if it's, it's transcribed anywhere, but there's a video of Suzuki, Shunru Suzuki Roshi, um, talking about a bird. It's a black and white film. And he's at Tassajara, I think. I'm imagining it's Tassajara. There's a stone wall behind him. And poor man is coughing all through the video. But he's talking about hearing the sound of the bird and what we do with that. There is this micro-momentary space before the sound and the making. You hear the sound and it's just the sound. And we are part of that sound. Or Suzuki says, we are that sound. Um, and then mind comes up and separateness comes up and delusion comes up and there is suddenly a bird. And even if we can't see it, you know, we can create a whole world from just that sound. The sound comes up and there's a bird and we make a picture of a bird, maybe our favorite bird, maybe it's blue, and it's sitting on a branch and it's out there and the leaves are rustling and, you know, tweet, tweet. <laughs> Wasting all that energy on creating something. Even if you see the bird, even if you can actually see the bird, you're still creating it. You know, instead of just being in that, if we could just rest in that little moment before the making, before the creating. I kind of experienced this, you know, I, I harp back on my experiences in Japan because I'm a person who did not have a whole lot of exposure to the world as a child or even as a, before I turned 40. I'd never left the country before I turned 40. So I didn't know anything about Japan. And I jumped on the plane and I went and of course, whole new world, whole new way of think, doing things, a language I could not possibly even guess what they were saying, you know, what the sign said, you know. I could guess, but you know, it's probably wrong. A whole lot of mistakes made, a whole lot of not being the one who knows, not being in charge, not understanding, but having to just ex accept what was there. I tell a story every once in a while, 
And I'm going to stop telling it too, because you know, I'm getting tired of it myself. But the first time I went to training in, in Japan, we were in this mountain in Kyushu, way out in the, you know, it's beyond boondocks. It was way up on a mountain, a big, dark temple. And when I told people that I was going to do this training, they were like, what? and I didn't know. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know I was going to be sitting in a dark room in the middle of winter, freezing my behind off, trying to do zazen with a bunch of strangers yelling at me in Japanese. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't know any of that. And there was a point where I felt like, why am I here? When I, while I was there, why am I here? This is weird, you know. Here's this black woman, mid-40s. What the hell? This doesn't happen. This is not what I dreamed about when I was 20. This is not, I had no idea it even existed when I was 20. So how did this life end up here? How did this being end up here? And why? There were periods that they would give us for um, rest periods. And most of the time, we'd all go out walking. You know, we're all Zen monks. Everybody would go walking in different directions. Nobody's walking together, always walking solitary in the forest. And whenever we meet each other, it's like, you know, I didn't see you, you know, yeah. So I'm walking by myself and I'm up on this mountain and I look out and this something, I, I hate to call it an idea, but this moment of not being anything. I was not an American. I was not a black woman. I was not this or that. I was none of the things that I was told I should be. None of the things I thought I should be. I was just there. And it was right. And it was verified. Like Buddha touching the earth, it was verified. And that feeling, though fleeting, and as I said, I, I, I need to let go of it just like everything else, has kept me in this practice. Has kept me in this practice through people telling me, that is the weird, that is some weird mess you're doing. Or you don't, you know, or you see people do a double take. Especially in Japan, they'll do a double take. It's like, what? <laughs> Who? You know. But that experience allowed me to take my seat in the zendo. I have a little story in my head about somehow doing time travel and, and going back to Dogen Zendo and walking in and taking a seat. And I would like to think that, you know, he would turn around, maybe raise an eyebrow, 
I said, what kind of yokai is this? Just walked up in my zendo. But I think he'd let me sit. But anyway, digression (laughs) to stop. Mm. But to go back to this, this, this moment of, of not knowing and what don't know for me could be. When I think of this, the concepts, you know, the ideas that we throw around in study group and in, in, in talks like this about the names and labels that we give to the Dharma teachings, names like emptiness and shunyata. We talk about shedding the body and mind. We talk about interdependent origination, non-thinking, Buddha nature, original face, all those concepts. And I come to right now, I'll tell you if it holds for me next week, of not knowing. It's the not knowing. It's that space that allows the loving kindness to flourish. It's that not knowing that acknowledges emptiness and the fleeting nature of all. It allows the change that is inevitable. It allows the opening to all things, the shedding of the body and mind are the same thing, emptiness, dropping away, letting self and thoughts and birds, non-thinking, original nature, whatever that is, all that comes through bodhidharmas, not knowing. It is not a technique. It is almost not a state. It's a, it's a, it's just the reality. (laughs) I don't know what, I don't know words to put this in. I'm not a scholar. I don't know how to articulate this any better than what comes from my feeling and what comes from my experience, which of course, is um, what was the word the guy used in the in the uh, article? Um, whatever it, it's managed by by that you know um, by this uh, what was that word? I should have wrote it down. But anyway, so this list of things that we talk about all the time, right? the Eightfold Path, all of these things, they are, in a sense, the same thing. They can't exist without one or the other. That's the the interesting thing about, especially the Eightfold Path. You know, you can't do right, um, right speech without right thought, without right intention, you know, and vice versa. They feed each other. And these concepts of ours, you cannot get to loving kindness 
until all those boundaries, all those limits are dropped. And those things seem, seem impossible. But 2,500 years ago, this guy said we can do it. And 25 years from then, here we are. 25 years, 2,500 years from then, here we are. Still talking about it, still working at it, still making the effort. What did I try to write here? You know, the just this, you know. At the song of the so-called bird outside is me, and me is fluid and ephemeral, and that note is arising and falling. And to not know is to know this deeply, to hold this deeply. To be free is to drop body and mind, stop thinking, acknowledge and rely upon interdependence, thereby experiencing emptiness and the freedom that embracing the original, our original nature and moving in samsara accordingly with loving kindness is the thing. You know, I don't talk about enlightenment. Every once in a while in, in reading Dogen, he says, don't worry about enlightenment. And then he starts talking about enlightenment. <laughs> I don't think that, it's not that enlightenment is not, I don't think enlightenment is possible. It's not that I don't think we should be striving in enlightenment, you know, in this enlightenment to to be it. But I think that that word is kind of a deflection because when it comes to this practice, the Buddha though his enlightenment or his existence as an enlightened being is what we hold. The loving kindness of this man who stayed in this body, who stayed with these limits and knew how to, he knew how to be or, or how not to be in suffering with us, but still did the bodhisattva thing and stayed with us and did his best to guide the people around him. Um, It's loving kindness, it's interdependence, it's the vow of the Dharma, of, of doing the Dharma, of being the Dharma. I don't know, that doesn't come out right. I'm not sure, uh, whatever. But, um, yeah. I'm gonna try one more idea, and I hope nobody takes this wrong, because this is not, you know, Juneteenth was yesterday. And I had this kind of feeling like 
Juneteenth should be a Buddhist holiday, not simply because it's about freedom, because we need to see, even in our lives in this world where injustice and, and, and violence and all of that is happening, there are these opportunities for us to really know the true freedom that we sit in these halls to attain. When I think of those folks way back when on Juneteenth, and if you don't know what Juneteenth is, Juneteenth is the date that is given for the um, day when the announcement was made in Texas of um, emancipation of African descended slaves. Lots of people don't see that. They see it as a holiday for black people. Think about that. It's not a holiday just for black people. It's a holiday for all people because one slave turns into many and the, um, the, the parameters that enclose a slave can easily enclose anyone else in the vicinity. So freedom for one or freedom for one group or this one or that one, even if it's not in your own country or what we call our own, our own countries, is freedom, a little bit more freedom for everybody. So what I was going to say, I think about those people, and these were people whose identities, and I talk about my own identity in this who I think I am or what I think I am, whose identities were prescribed by somebody else's greed, somebody else's fear, somebody else's delusion, um, and constricted their physical bodies um, in ways we can't imagine. They say that on the day when slaves heard that about emancipation, some of them started walking. And they started walking, looking. Some of them had never maybe gone past the, the, the uh, borders of the plantation they were born on. Um, they went looking. They went looking for their people. They went looking for the mother. So the way they went looking for children. They went looking for husbands. And some just went looking. And to have no, to have only a vague maybe idea of what their history was because this is a generations-long imprisonment 
to not know where you come from. To not know a life outside of somebody else's needs or wants. What do I want? What do I need? How do I get it? And I imagine, you know, because this is what we do, and everybody has a right to this, I'm not saying you don't, to create that identity and try to define for yourself what life should be. That's what we do in samsara. That's how we survive samsara. So, you know, as Dogen says, delusions and, and definitions and discriminations are the same as enlightenment. They're part of it. They're part of the mix that helps us. So I imagine a lot of those people walked off those plantations and started building because to survive, you just have to. Unfortunately, some of those people, the unknown, crossing that border, dropping those limits, was probably so frightening, they climbed right back into the prison. And that's not a judgment. Tired of that judgment. That is a statement of our condition. And it doesn't just apply to black folks or slaves or oppressed people. That is our condition. Think of what that would look like for everything you know to be taken away, even if it's bad, even if it's hell. But I also believe that there were quite a few arhats out there, still are, who took that step and step right into that little space and saw it freedom is something to know not know freedom is in not knowing in not knowing the shoulds, coulds, and woulds, and not just waiting for doors to open or close, but to watch the whole damn thing crumble away. Where whatever it is before sound becomes bird, whatever it is, before being becomes 
or creates self. I know you probably don't know what I'm talking about, because you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but whatever, you know, um, that's where it is. And to go back, when Bodhidharma says don't know, that opportunity that I have every minute to just drop all of this. See, y'all make me do this talk, so now I gotta think. You gotta figure this out and have all these ideas. You know. Y'all <laughs> make me do anything. I'm kidding. <laughs> but here we are. Don't know is is, you know, he says, empty, nothing, holy, empty, nothing, don't know. I think what I want, and this is a wanting, and you know, okay, yeah, right, what I would hope for myself and everyone is to come to that point of not knowing, to come to that point of emptiness and loving kindness and interdependence where you are light enough to float upriver on a wet piece of grass like Bodhidharma. And that's And that is possible. Dogen, we are right now just. So I'm going to stop before I get in trouble because I can ramble forever. And again, I would like to thank you all for allowing me to be here for this month. Um, and enjoying your company and your practice. It's been a great, a great joy to be in practice again with community. I've missed it so much. And you know, I've got to, to, to see you all in action and doing your practice and doing your ritual, uh, Shuso ceremonies and ordinations and you know, to the newly ordained couple of people who are newly ordained, just to say um, how much that is appreciated. And to just, you know, a little, you know, this robe, in the Okesa Sutra, it says that the robe protects us from garudas and dragons and disease. Hate to tell you, but it's just a piece of cloth. And it's as, fe as ephemeral as anything else out there. Um, but when you feel it on your shoulder, when it wraps around your body, in my mind, that is the Dharma and the Sangha and the Buddha. That is the shield against the Garuda. And 
the madness of um, this world and just let it hold you, let it hug you, let us hug you, because um, we're all with you. So thank you for letting me be a part of that ceremony as well. And uh, thank you all. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about the monastery's programs, weekend retreats, and residency, please visit our website at cmm.org.